and welcome to another interview for an African's Queen podcast. My name is Karon Marguerite and I am an emotional intelligence coach as well as a management consultant. I am actively seeking to build my network in Nigeria for Nigerian entrepreneurs. In particular, I'm keen because my family and I want to move from Melbourne, Australia to Nigeria. If you are able to help with this extraordinary change of lifestyle, I invite you to reach out. Most keenly, I want to work with Nigerian businesses based in Nigeria that want to utilize leadership development tools and techniques, in particular emotional intelligence, to ensure that each member of their leadership team excel, create high-performing teams and see the results not only in employee engagement but also in your business's bottom line. Today I have an incredible guest with me. Her name is Dr Ojugu Anjunwa. She is a seasoned project launch strategist, an online business coach and a process improvement expert with over two decades of work experience. She's a passionate about empowering young female entrepreneurs to feel confident and capable when it comes to digital transformations. Ojugu is the co-founder of Right Track Consulting, a management consulting and training company based in Abuja. She's also a fellow at the Employee Benefits Institute and the chairman at the Teach for Employability Foundation among many other of her incredible accomplishments in her illustrious career. Allow us now to welcome our esteemed guest. How are you this evening? I am so excited to have you with us. All the way from Abuja in Nigeria, Dr. Ojugu Anjunwa. Have I said your name correctly? Please, please, please. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. You really did. <laughs> Perfect. Great, because I'm always very nervous, as I shared before we started recording, about the very difficult, heavy-syllable Australian way of speaking is uh, very different to the Nigerian soft-syllable way of speaking. So, yes, I'm glad. Welcome to An African's Queen. How has your day begun? Beautiful over here. And... Um... It's a bright day. It's a bit hazy and dusty at this side of the world. Yeah, it's called the Hamatan. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep, I understand. I understand. I was there in oh many, many, many years ago, but in uh, December, January, and it was similar. Okay. So yes, yeah. it's it's the Hamatan season till sometime in March or so. Tell us how it is that you've come to become a digital transformation specialist and all the things that go into your illustrious career. What is your story? Beautiful. Thank you so much for the honour to be on the African Queen podcast. I hope I got that well. Yes. This is the thing about the name of this podcast, An African's Queen. And I think it's really important. Yeah, there's that possessive S in there because 
it's evident that I'm not African. <laughs> I'm certainly not a queen, <laughs> but I am the queen to my African husband. So yeah, it's 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 one of those funny little little nuances in a name that yeah matters. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. So um, thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm excited. Um, first of all, I have a background in the sciences. You know, I actually no longer look at amoebas, you know, uh, plants at their cellular state and all of that. But all of that beautiful training, you know, created a lot of curiosity in my mind. I was that child that grew up with reading books like Famous Five, Secret Seven. I don't know whether people I do too. <laughs> I don't know whether people remember them. I love a good detective, you know, plot and all of that. So my mind is just wired that way, you know, because also I was that child that grew up reading newspapers. My dad would tell me summarize what's going on as an eight-year-old on a newspaper and I have to read, you know, make a summary. If we go to the village in Nigeria, he also tells me, write an essay. What did you experience in the village? So I was that type of child, <laughs> you know, and all that. So I was always, um, you know, one that wanted to learn new things. In fact, I still do, you know, over the decades, I find learning my greatest hobby if you come into my home you'll see books every you'll be like is this a bookstore or <laughs> because i have such an inquisitive mind of my system the same thing so many digital books you know and mm. all of that so um that helps me with what i do currently as a management consultant you know because from being able to read, I also start watching for trends, you know, things that are happening currently in the world, and then how we could apply it, you know, to ourselves. So that's mm -hmm. where, um, you know, I gathered a lot of knowledge from, uh, for digital transformation projects. I actually uh, became certified, I believe, 13 years ago with the PMI, Project Management Institute in the US, you know, and when I did, you know, I was drawn to software projects because that's what I was working in in my former organization before I broke out to work with my husband in our organization, Right Track Consulting. You know, so because I was more on software projects, I learned a lot about the market and uh, Nigeria, you know, the African landscape, we are, we are not so digital savvy, you know, as at the time. You know, I started working on software. You know, sometimes when we come into organizations, we have to demo to them what exactly we are coming to do because it looks it looked like an intangible. But then at the end of the day, they would see, you know, beautiful results that would transform the entire organization. One project that really made me know that, you know, we have to digitally transform in Nigeria is an organization called PENCOM in Nigeria is a pension commission, you know. So what do they do? They, they make sure that all the retirees, you know, they are um, enrolled into a pension scheme 
you know, and they've been doing this manually and so much happens. You see ghost pensioners, people that never worked as um, government um, staff, they would include their names. So much was happening. A lot were not receiving the correct amounts. They were old projects back in the day. This is like um, 2006, 2004, 5, 6 you know, on that particular project, it really made me see why we should, you know, transform how we work. Because we now moved them, we made databases for them, we re-enrolled them with their correct names, their addresses, you know, did their entire biometrics, and it changed the, um, you know, how the PENCOM, that government organization, handles pensioners, and pensioners are happier for it. Today. I bet because they're getting paid correctly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. We have a similar um, organizational structure in terms of our superannuation, where um, part of our salary goes to our superannuation fund, and that's intended for when we retire. So, and that pays us a certain amount uh, at the at the oh, age wow. of retirement. Mm. So I think you've actually explained it, but for those who don't know what digital transformation is, help us understand it. What does it mean for an organisation to go through a process of digital transformation? Beautiful. You know, the digital space has blown. You know, today we have 4G, sorry, we have 5G. I heard someone talk about 6G you know, in certain countries, I do not know whether that is correct, you know, but then there's internet of things, augmented reality, so much is happening at breakneck speed, you know, and all of that. So what does digital transformation mean? Changing how we do things, you know, enabling it with digital tools, you know, there is robotics, Today, I think this year, we saw people wake up to chat GPT from OpenAI, you know, and it's all the rave. People are like, really? It could write my essay. Oh, really? It could Or it's going to take my email. job. It's, it's going to take my job. Oh, my God. Exactly. Okay. So that's digital transformation at its best, you know, being able to, what you used to do manually. It's now enabled by different tools for different use cases, you know, to help you actually do it more in a more automated way and a more structured way. Because it cancels out the human errors, you know, that you could see when you do things manually, you know, and then it's more predictable. There is speed behind mm -hmm. it. So things that could take you one week, you could now, if you digitally transform, you could do it in a faster way. You know, there is an exam in Nigeria. Um, it's my son's turn to write it because he's looking at going into the university. It's called JAM, you know. So JAM is, in fact, any Nigerian, every Nigerian knows JAM is a tough exam in our time. You know, you could see thousands of people, you know, would struggle for the space in the hall to write it because people were so many. You know, we'll struggle for this, we'll struggle for that. And then sometimes your results will take ages to come out. But Jam has also digitally transformed itself. 
like my son now, they've given them like over 14 days to write jam. And now it's CBT, is a computer-based test. So that means he sits at a desk at the time slot he he's, it's, that is convenient, you know, for him within that 14-day window, write his exam, get his results, voila. You know, instead so, of all of that struggle, yeah. In that exam, I mean, how do they prevent or circumvent around the possi possibility of cheating? Okay, it's actually done in um, approved CBT centers. Ah, so they, okay. they pre-approve them, yeah. So there are checks and balances, actually. Mm. So one of the things about... And you alluded to this before when we were talking about chat G, um, GPT. There is, and in my day job, in, in, in my work, I consult um, internally for an organisation. Now, my role itself doesn't do this, but the company provides AI and RPL and machine learning. So to get around the acronyms artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, um processing and also machine learning all of those sorts of things the fear then is around this technology taking people's jobs now you and i know that's not going to happen right because we understand that the technologies in fact aid humans to do the work that humans are best at doing that complex thinking, the the problem solving, the agility, the creativity, the customer service, the sales, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. stuff that bots will never do. So along the same idea, help us understand your experience in Nigeria going through the, those fears and helping your clients to understand that not only are they going to save money, um, but they're also not going to have to replace their employees. What are those conversations like? Beautiful, very, <laughs> very succinct question. Okay, so most times <clears throat> you'll find that when you come to pitch an organization, you know, for a digital transformation thing, sometimes people in IT, they're like, are they coming to say, you know, <laughs> that they are going to stop me from doing my work and things like that when this thing sits? So what we find is that there has to be a lot of change management, you know. In fact, if possible, pilots. So having pilots helps the organization even appreciate, you know, what you're coming to do. This is coming to enhance not necessarily take over your job, but it's a learning curve because our culture is, you know, one of a little bit of fear, you know, when such new things are introduced. On the flip side, you will see people kick against the project. In fact, they could hide your files, you know, and mention, I can't find the file. You know, I've searched everywhere. Could you start afresh? You know, so it could be really, really, really tough, really tough. You know, but then because we understand that terrain, you know, going at it bite-sized, managing the change, it helps them accept it, especially if their leadership is open-minded and resilient enough 
to go through, you know, all of that beautiful learning call for the organization, you know, then they embrace it. But the ones that are like, they are still in the past, most times the project fizzle away, honestly. The mm. projects, they are paused. In fact, I remember one where we even bought servers from Oracle. Mm -hmm. Oracle Corporation in the US. And guess what? Those servers are covered with, you know, clothes to protect them and they're not being used just because they didn't, you know, adopt the change that came. But I think with a lot of, I think we have a digital economy, fair to say, you know, over the years, we have the digital economy um, ministry, you know, or agency where, you know, they talk to people, they orient, you know, make do orientations around, you know, why we must go digital. So mm -hmm. a lot is also, it's a journey, you know, it's not like we are there, but then we are really making a lot of progress from where we used to be maybe two decades ago or a decade and a half ago. So people are now saying, okay, this is making things easier. You know, in like my son's exams, you're like, oh, that means computers work. So at that level, people begin to accept a little bit, you know, such that when it comes into their organization, they embrace it. Mm. And I think that that's really important because even in the work that we do, that change management aspect, how you communicate that change and how you take people through that pilot or the, you know, that minimal viable product aspect of a new yeah. project where you're literally um, spoon feeding a new idea. So it, that fear has a chance to be counteracted at every step. And one of the things that um, I'm sure you guys do this as well is that you get the, the champions on board that are already very digitally savvy but also um, we seek to find the people that are the most against the project and bring them into the organisational conversations with it so that we can actually hear those fears and we can work with them and address them immediately. Is this similar to the, the approach that you take with businesses yes, in Nigeria? Yeah, stakeholder engagement is, in fact, if you want your project to succeed, stakeholder engagement is like the highest thing. Identify every little stakeholder, not just the champions, like you've said, you know, mm -hmm. even the person in a filing room, you know, it's also a, he's also a stakeholder. So you must carry them along, make them know, you know, the benefits. When you sell more of the benefits, this is not coming to take, it's going to make your life simpler, you know. Mm. So by the time you're doing this over and over again, then they break down their defenses. But then stakeholder engagement, it has to be ongoing from beginning till the end of the project. That has been, you know, my experience. <laughs> I love it. My favourite bit is when the biggest fighters become the biggest fans and they are they then become the champions and they're the ones speaking, you know, the reason back to the other, you know, people who were so afraid and, and they're the ones that start to champion it because that light exactly. is that light is turned on and, and the the possibilities. Um I think that's a really exciting part of 
the most projects I love people right so it makes sense to me that that's the aspect that you know the change management the communication side of things so that's the most important yeah yeah oh gosh I absolutely agree now we know that the stakeholder engagement aspect is really incredibly important but what do you think the number one thing that companies need to consider before they commence a digital transformation project? What is that thing that you wish all clients had done before they rang you? Okay, so it all starts from the vision, the organization's vision. It has to align, you know, with having projects, you know, it all starts from your vision and then it trickles down to your goals and then they are enabled by projects you know, and all of that. So you must have a vision that it's futuristic or oh, with the way the world is going, you know, can we adjust what we do? Can we pivot, you know, and all of that? I think, what am I saying? COVID taught everyone by force. <laughs> you know, like, it, like we say in Nigeria, by fire, by force, you know, that you must digitally transform because if not, no work could have been done for yeah. over one full year and, you know, in fact, some organizations even came back after 18 months. You know, mm. imagine losing all of that time. You just have to digitally transform. It's not even a question of is it good, you know, and or should we, you know, look in that direction. It's a must, you know, if you're even going to survive, you know, because it's a people say it's a VUCA world. It's volatile, it's uncertain, there's so much going on you know, yes. and all that. So first of all, your vision must be one of being able to adapt to the changing times, you know. So if it means rewriting the vision, rewriting the goals, start from there and then make sure you communicate it from top down so that everybody mm -hmm. aligns with that vision. You know, being able to align with an organization's vision helps you fall into place, you know, with any other thing. So for digital transformation projects, it must start with the vision, your goals. Um, it's not something you would do all at once. You know, the journey of a thousand miles, it could go with one step. You could say, oh, this is a five-year roadmap to digitally transform. So in quarter one of the first year, this is what we will do. Quarter two, quarter three, quarter four. I don't believe in burning out, you know, because you want to achieve certain projects. It's not sustainable. So if you could spread it, you know, even get help, get consultants in to help you look further. You know, sometimes people have blind spots. They want to, you know, continue to do things as is. You know, mm. this is how we've been doing it. But then if you get someone to look beyond what you could see, you know, look down the road, break it down, create a roadmap, you know, before you know it, you take it gradually. Yeah. Use a lot of collaboration tools, you know, set up your teams, you know, and make sure the team stay accountable to the leadership, you know, and the team communicates. Those are the very important thing. They stay accountable. They don't give up on that journey, you know, because some of these projects could test you. You know, they really, beyond it being sounding fancy, it could really test you. So be in there, have accountability for them, you know, setting the team up, having the vision, um, having a roadmap 
they all help. Those are the initial things, you know, have it, you know, really clear because if there is no clarity on what we are trying to do, you know, when you jump into it, you may, once you start having issues, conflicts, you may just want to, you know, stop everything. So, but when you do it this way, then it sustains, then you can continue. And over the years, you would start seeing results. That's what I could say. Yes, and I agree with you. I think reverse engineering the success, starting with that desired outcome, where do you want to be and why? And then working backwards. You know, one of the things that I do with my clients' professional development is that we create the picture of their ideal self. And then we go, okay, well, let's look at what's what are the gaps here? I never use the word weakness, but I always like to say there is room for improvement. And sure, there are things that, look, we're never going to be good at. And in a company, that's true too. And that's where we need to utilise our network. And as you said, hire outside, get consultants in to do the things that quite frankly, we're never going to be good at doing because it's just not in our wheelhouse. It's not what we are good at. And I think that that's also important, recognising those things that you're just never going to be great at and you shouldn't spend the time and money trying to be good at it because you'll lose more money than you'll ever gain back. One of the things that I know you to be is really passionate about working to support young female entrepreneurs in their journey to increasing their digital literacy. Why is this so important for you? Beautiful. Thank you so much. So sometimes when I see, because business is not easy, really, when we really, really look at it, because the statistics are all there, you know. So let me start from the statistics. Many businesses fail by the third year. You know, and most times when I look at it, I'm like, why are they failing? You know, why this person started passionately, you know, and everything was super excited, put down the phones, hired the, you know, staff, uh, rented an office, bought the equipment. And after three years, you know, it starts going down the drain. It could be really stressful. So I was I was thinking to myself that over time, um, I remember one of my friends, I didn't know I was coaching her at the moment, you know, my neighbor. In fact, her house was just directly <laughs> opposite to me. So I didn't know I was coaching her at the time. You know, you will see me come to her house, you know, to- Is this uh, a, like a face you, face me situation? Well, just by the fence. So some evenings you see me go into her house, you know, and all of that. And um, because at that time she was trying to set up a consulting business and it was tough because she was going the manual way. In fact, she didn't even have online presence, no visibility anywhere. So guess what? Each time I, I got there, I would ask her, how is the business going? And she would say, hmm, it's a struggle. I've sent yeah. this proposal here. I sent here, nobody is answering, you know, and I really, I really, really was taught. She was a young mother at that time, you know, so I started giving her bite-sized advice, you know, actionable steps, first of all, to, you know, improve her brand and mm -hmm. then, 
increase her online visibility that if she hides under a rock you know nobody's going to find you even if you were the best thing after is it sliced bread <laughs> you know nobody's going to find you you know and because of that she took those baby steps and today her business is in over 14 countries in fact each time she sees me she's like this lady here she's the backbone of everything i ever did you know and then i have a, a sister that is a milena she does all of these beautiful fascinators hats and she lives in a part of nigeria where it's not an urban urban center it's urban but then it's not like lagos abuja potako you know and all of that that are like the super cities in nigeria and i'm like you could still walk from there because she's married and she has kids and she can't really, you know, really start relocating at that point. You know, and I said, create a personal brand, you know, and I, I passed her through a lot of workflow to make sure that people can access what she does from wherever. And today she has clients in the US, in Dubai, in she, she in fact, every day she's talking with DHL to to dispatch someone's item. Many I need to. Are you sure you live in this place? I've <laughs> got a wedding coming there. up and I need a galley, so maybe I should give oh, her a call. Really? <laughs> yes, I would, I, would, I would give you her contact. She's huge on Instagram, you know. So all of that, you know, and seeing their successes and using it in my business as well, you know, I, I saw that you could have a fighting chance. You know, when you position, when you structure from the get go, you would start seeing the results, you know, and the results are sustainable because I, I always talk about sustainability in everything, because if you burn out and stop it, nothing is going to change. But if you could continue to improve, you know, you would sustain your business and eventually it becomes profitable. So those were the reasons I started talking to women and girls with businesses. You know, it became, um, I, I won't say a side hustle because it's a full thing I do. And I have clients now from all over, apart from Nigeria, you know, that I work with and some have even worked with them like over time. I remember mm. one lady, she came to me and says, I read chemical engineering, but I don't really want to work in an office. I want to, you know, I have this idea of made in Nigeria chocolates. Guess what? Her chocolates are in stores today because this is like more than five years of continuing to work with her. You know, so those things give me a whole lot of pleasure. Mm. I absolutely totally appreciate that experience of you know coaching people to start their first business you know and yeah. it's kind of interesting that our paths have crossed because that was one of my first coaching businesses was taking people who are um, employees and supporting them to transform into self-employed entrepreneurs and because I had been through that journey and I didn't have anybody to coach or mentor me and I I learned by making an awful lot of mistakes that yeah. having somebody to guide your process who knows, I like to say, I mean, in management consulting, it's easy to understand this to be the, that to be a generalist or to be a specific expert, right? So 
I'm an excellent generalist because all of my experience is in all aspects of business acumen, which means that I can walk everyone through all of the departments of your new business. You know, and you're absolutely right that a new business will make or break between three to five years, you know, and it's not just a lot of people say, well, it's cash flow. Actually, it's not. It's a lot to do with the brand of the entrepreneur that is behind the business. It doesn't matter how many employees you have. If I, I believe if that business isn't represented by a person, it doesn't have to be the CEO, but a person that potential clients can get to know, to build rapport, to have that emotional tie experience with the business. Because we have gone beyond now going to a website, we now want to buy from a person in the business. And if you don't have, well, if you don't have that relationship, if you don't have that connection, then businesses will often not understand why they're failing. Because humans buy, make choices because of emotional connectivity, not because they have a need. The need is there, so they'll go and search it out. But if they have to choose between your company and this other company that has a great brand presence and a person, guess what? They're going to go and buy from the person because that person over time has put the collateral online to build trust and loyalty and to demonstrate expertise. And even the smallest business, the mum and pop, like the mum and dad shops, can still do this and they think that they can't but they absolutely can because it's not about what you sell it's about who you are in talking about your expertise and what you sell it could be rice and beans in the market but if you're passionate about that and you talk about where you source it hey guess what I'm going to seek you out next time I go to the market because I already know who you are and I and I feel like that is the strongest connection. You don't know me, but I know you. And because I know you, I trust you. As opposed to this other company who has some sort of crap animation one minute sales video that says what, <laughs> but doesn't actually bring me in and help me trust. So anyway. Clearly, you and I are quite passionate about the same topic and we could talk underwater about it. But this is really about sharing what you're passionate about. And I want to understand what are the things that you're doing um, to support young female entrepreneurs to increase their knowledge? What kind of programs do you have? Do you have training, workshops? What, what's what's happening? OK, so what, what I do is I have group trainings. I have workshops, you know, with specific topics that we always, you know, um, put out there. And um, even that is, even though that is for a paid audience, we also have an NGO. We have Teach for Employability Skills because we see a lot of people, you know, they don't have the skills that keeps them employable mm. in Nigeria because of our educational system and all of that you know so the the non-governmental organization is still a baby organization you know that we just created for that purpose 
you know, so we have programs we've created to talk to people about some of those skills, you know, what you could even use. In fact, we go as far as even, you know, making them understand that even the waste around you, you know, it could you could upcycle, you know, and get something beautiful out of it that you could put out there. Because a lot of people in Nigeria are either underemployed or unemployed. Underemployed meaning they're not being paid, you know, a livable wage, you know, and all of that. So we, we want to bridge that gap by upskilling them, you know, so that they can actually really fit in with those programs, you know, that we've been running. Sometimes we even go to churches around those, you know, just to talk to them, people in our communities, because it's really, I, I believe at the root cause of all the Nigerian stories we hear is that if our youths are well guided, you know, they will turn out to be amazing, you know, human beings that contribute back to the country. So that's why, you know, after so many years of running our business, more than 15 years, a year ago, we created the non-governmental and, you know, we've been working on it. And it's, it's something that I'm so passionate about because I can see it, you know, even my children doing something when they grow up with the NGO. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that given, I mean, correct me if I'm mistaken, but the statistics are that like 70% of um, the population of Nigeria is a, a youth age, like it's, under 30. No, I, I, find, I find a lot of places talk about between 50 and 60%. Okay. You know, and we are more than 200 million. That, that's a whole chunk of people. You know, that if we harness them, build their human capacity, they would go places. Oh, and I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that the work with digital literacy will absolutely make Nigeria a technological powerhouse across Africa. And I think the capability is absolutely there because the skills in coding and programming to be fair, they're not hard. It's a, it's just a different language, a different thing to learn. And there are so many ways to learn now online and often for free or very low cost that it wouldn't take much, you know, particularly with the burgeoning, you know, AI, RPA um, side of things with machine learning. So, Kudos. I'm really excited to continue to follow the work that you're doing with the foundation. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. So, in fact, talking about the future of Nigeria sort of makes me wonder, as we're recording this, you guys are yet to vote for your new president. So, in answering this particular question, it's going to come out well after your new president's decided However, I'm curious to learn from you what your vision for the future Nigeria is. Beautiful question. <laughs> okay, so the future for a new Nigeria that would keep us all inspired, you know, um, position our kids, you know, for their own life's journey and all of that is a Nigeria that changes their narrative. You know, we've been known for a lot of things. <laughs> Let me not say 
um, negative things only. Of course, we oh, look for really positive things. But yeah. the news, the news is agog with a lot of negative things. But then there are beautiful people in Nigeria, beautiful souls, you know, resilient people. And I believe we can rewrite our story. You know, mm. so rewriting our story change how we view things, especially our mentality. I think that's the main thing. If you can change a man's mind, you've changed the man. You know, so <laughs> I, I want I want a Nigeria that you know has us all you know pumped, just like China. You know, the Asian tigers. We saw them reinvent themselves. You know, we can really you know have a uniform in quotes voice you know, to change our narratives, you know, and then orientate everyone, make sure that people, you know, understand even from the cradle that, hey, we have a country, we are proud to be Nigerians, you mm -hmm. know, and then we walk from day one. It's not really a leadership total, because if we blame the leadership, that is a lot, you know, to put on their plate. It's about all of us you know, at our workplaces, in our businesses, in our homes, because it's, everyone came from somewhere. I believe most people came from somewhere. You didn't fall from a tree, you know. So if from the home, you know, we also do a lot of that because we, we see a lot of vices these days. But if we tell ourselves the truth, once we can change, you know, how we are bringing up our children, you know, teach them the right values, you know, have the right values ourselves, you'll see the nation actually change. And then I think one of the things I would love to see change is our reading culture. A lot of times it's all about the entertainment industry. You know, it's booming in Nigeria, kudos to them. You know, but then we should also look at our human capacity development really when we come from there you know over the years we'll see a, a reconstructed country mm, i think that's a fantastic vision and i can i'm inspired because you speak to so many reasons as to why my husband and i have made the decision to relocate i say back wow. back for him back <laughs> for us to nigeria um, you know, I've been there once and I've seen in that time and since in the conversations with family and friends, how entrepreneurial and resilient and passionate Nigerians are about their country in a way that I can't help but want to be involved. You know, the things that we're doing from here already over there will establish us as a beginning but the visions that we have of what businesses we want to do beyond my consulting um, and any sort of training or education-based things that I do with my coaching it's my husband's businesses and the goals for sustainability and environmentally um, cyclical businesses that take things like we were both horrified by the amount of rubbish. And yet, instead of being disgusted, we were inspired because we were going like, yeah, but we can bring in new technology that can do something with this and make it a new product. And it will make the country even better. And it will employ and educate 
and grow the nation. And in many ways, that's just not possible in Australia because we are so established. And you know, we already have a lot of things that already work. And there isn't, there's room for improvement in every country. But I think that what's possible in Nigeria is that there is an enormous amount of work to be done. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, all hands on deck. Everybody gets in, everybody gets engaged and involved. And one of the, help me understand this, right? One of the fears I'm going to share with you is, well, that common common enough that I know and I fear it myself, what's this white girl doing coming into our country telling us what to do, <laughs> right? And my husband laughs at me just as you did, but telling you now it's a very real fear because I don't know it all and yet I have a desire to help Nigerians learn how to fish so that they can support themselves and their community. And if my knowledge and passions, but how do I get over my own fear for that response? It's going to be, um, first of all, you will have culture shocks. So let me prepare you for culture shocks. You would, you would have culture shocks, but then like every other thing, your vision should drive you, you know, um, those, even if you could start with quick wins, you know, it would give you some comfort to keep going, especially when, because you would have tough times when you really come in into our system, you know, there'll be a lot of things, barriers, you know, and all of that. So I'm just preparing your mind, you know, but then if you could, if, if you could swim through that, you would have such fulfillment that money cannot buy, you mm. know, and it will be something your kids, it, it won't be ephemeral, it won't be on the surface, it will go deep down into your soul, you know, it will be something that when you really look back 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you, you would even part yourself. You know, you would show gratitude to yourself. Thank you for taking this journey. That's how I feel about it. What you want oh. to do. So just be brave. <laughs> just be brave. Thank you. I think that that is so comforting um, because it's, we have a very, I mean, beyond what we've just discussed in my last interview, I talked about my legacy and, and the legacy my husband and I have for our time and it's big and it's hairy and it's audacious and it's really scary but we're both so incredibly passionate beyond the sustainability style businesses of what we want to do and our legacy you know our 20-year 30-year legacy that we're building towards right now you know that we're slowly starting to seed and, and plant thinking of your vision for the future Nigeria, I'm curious what you think an area of leadership development that you feel that Nigerian entrepreneurs really need to focus on to support the realization of this future Nigeria. Okay. Um, change management, being able to be change drivers, you know, not giving up, 
since, like I told you earlier, we are a lot of we we have a lot of resilient people in Nigeria. You know, so being able to stay the course is a leadership you know area, a gap that we need to really bridge. Because if you could stay the course, you would always see the results. But then if you start and stop, start and stop, you know, you won't see tangible results over time. Um, outcomes, impacts, they don't happen overnight. So you just mm-hmm. stay the course. So that change uh, management part of it is so key. You know, if you want to really achieve bold, hairy, audacious goals, you know, and all of that. So when you talk about change management, you're not just talking about the theoretical application in an organization. Are you also talking about the mindset, having a growth mindset that enables you to be prepared for, as you talked to before, my own challenges um, and mentally being strong to overcome any hurdle? A lot of that, a lot of that. In fact, a lot of mind management you know, mm. you need it in Nigeria. You need it like that's my day, space. Like the oxygen. <laughs> so I tell you what, sense. if Nigeria, if yeah. Nigeria is anything, it's going to test how much I think I know and how strong mm-hmm. I think I my mind is when it comes to this kind of thing. So, <laughs> way to put myself in the firing it's, it's seat. A lot of that, yeah, a lot of that because people don't need, know that they are also they they should also be able to program their minds. You know, when your mind is programmed, you can go through anything. But then when mm-hmm. there is no conditioning, you know, you just want to give up at the slightest issue that you come across. So mind management, change mm. management, really key for leaders in Nigeria. Because our terrain, in fact, we have something we call the Nigerian factor, you know, in quotes. That when things work elsewhere in Nigeria, they don't just work. So we have that as a clause we speak to ourselves. So we need to manage our minds, manage the change, you know, to be able to still achieve our objectives. Mm. This has been such an incredible conversation. I am so excited by so many things that you've talked to. It's definitely inspiring to hear your passions. As we close up our conversation, I'm kind of curious, do you have any questions for me? Anything that you've kind of wondered about or you'd like to pick my brain about? Okay. So for leaders, you know, um, for leaders, how do you stop procrastinations among, for instance, your team members? This is a random question. You know, where you give them things to do and they always line it up with this excuse, this happened, that happened. What should you do? Mm. So when it comes to task allocation, I want to understand, first and foremost, have they been involved in the planning of that task and how are they yes. motivated? So how is okay. how are, whether it's intrin- intrinsic or extrinsic motivation, I want to understand what role they've played in the delegation to or the allocation to of that task. So procrastination is often, there's there's two ways I look at procrastination. Sometimes it's not actually procrastination. Sometimes it could generally be 
the need for more thinking time. So if there's a particular task and I use, um, at the moment in my day job, there's a, a piece of marketing promotional video that I'm doing the script for. And that is creative, but the demand for me to turn this script around and I'm all like, nope, nope, nope. And so I have to sit back and go, hang on a second. Firstly, what's my motivation to get this done like yesterday? Just because somebody throws something at me doesn't mean that I'm just immediately going to jump to and be able to perform like a monkey. No. I have to understand what's, what is it that I'm going to get out of doing this project quickly, if at all I could, right? But these creative things, sometimes they simply take time and they need time to ruminate, right? So if it's for me, I like to, or even someone in the team, I need to ask them, how much time do you need, you know, and letting them set the milestone, letting them set the target. If they then don't meet it, well, that's a different conversation. But how in charge are they of the delegation versus allocation? Because delegation is being told what to do. Allocation is being involved in what needs to be done. And you can see that one is empowering and the other is disempowering. Does that help? Yeah, it does. It does. So you mean I should focus on getting them to, you know, buy into the, the tasks that they're about to do. Um, they must be motivated. They must know um, what the tax is going to accomplish in alignment with the vision of the organization and why, you know, they should put their best into it. Mm. Starting from that angle, cuts off procrastination. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be the vision of the organization. It can be smaller. So if we come down to a departmental goal or even um, KPI-led in terms of a particular project or a milestone in a project and helping them understand the decision-making process as to this particular task needs to be done by this particular time for these reasons, yeah, and also consider that they may not feel like they're up to the task. Sometimes it's confidence and that they might feel that there's a bit of an inferiority complex happening if they don't necessarily think that, A, they're the right person for the job because they either don't think they've got the skills or they don't believe in themselves enough to know they can do it. So sometimes it's that. But other times it could just simply be that they genuinely don't know what to do but they're too afraid to ask for help. So they'll put it off, put it off, put it off because they don't want to lose face. They don't want to be shamed and they don't want to be judged. So one of the techniques I coach in is to always reserve judgment, always be curious, ask questions, and questions that elicit them to speak honestly but in a way that you've built that trust over time so that they know that you won't judge them for their answer, you know, and that that honesty that they bring you will help you in your mentoring and coaching of, of how they are as an employee. I think that this ties up a really incredible conversation. Clearly, we can talk a lot more about all sorts of things. <laughs> 
I want to yeah. say thank you so much for taking the time to meet You're with welcome. me today. It's been fantastic. Are there any final thoughts um, that you'd like to leave us with? <laughs> okay, final thoughts. Um, keep staying focused. Um, I'm sure a lot of leaders are listening to this. Um, like I said, it's a tough terrain to be a leader, but keep staying focused. Um, also measure what you do so that continuously you improve. Those will be my final words for today. Mm -hmm. I absolutely concur. What amazing advice. Thank you once more. And I hope you have an amazing remainder of your day. Take care Thank for you. now. Thank you. All right. Bye.